Welcome to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Here to talk all things hockey are your hosts, Brad Crisco, Ryan Hanna, and Evan Lobsinger. And thus concludes the season of uh, going home and telling our parents that they need to reset their iCloud password for the third time this year, and them telling you they've never had an iCloud password, and you telling them that that's literally impossible, and you stored it on a note in their phone, and then they say they don't have notes on their phone, and you say, I'm showing you right now notes in your phone, you wrote these, and they say, oh, wow, how'd you do that? You're so good at this. Merry Christmas, everyone. That sounds awful. Yeah, it gave me anxiety. <laughs> it's you know what? It's I have no issue with it because I always just boil it down to um I, I this is from a book or something. Like they taught me how to use a spoon at one point. Like I used to shit my pants and not know how to use a spoon when I was a baby, like, you know, twelve years old or whatever that was. And uh they got me through that so I can teach them how to use an iPad. Um But yeah, we're back. Christmas is done. Merry Christmas, guys. Yep, you too. I'm happy to be uh, get a little more sleep now, and uh, you know, keep keep the money off my paycheck. <laughs> uh, Brad is rattling with anxiety because he wants to talk more about the Buffalo Bills, but uh, Santa gave him a big <laughs> lump of coal for going overboard. Okay, uh, last hold on. Time. There's, I can I can get away with not talking about the Bills on this podcast. And yet still appease everybody, including myself, if we just spend the next five minutes dumping on the New England Patriots? Uh, another day, Brad, when we okay. don't have season previews of World Juniors okay. to talk about. Okay, but just so we're aware, I, I, I follow, obviously, given my Twitter timeline, there's a lot of Lions content on it. And uh, it seems that the New England hate very much trans translates in Michigan. So, uh, just saying. Evan? How was was uh, hockey Santa good to you? Was hockey Santa good to me? I don't know, just Santa, I guess. I don't know. I wanted to make a podcast named. Um, was he good to me? Yeah, it's always good. I've you know I've been I'm on vacation for two weeks and um, people get to, I just get left alone. It's great. I can do really whatever. <laughs> Today's the first day I've showered and I have no idea. Wow, horrifying! Thank you for that. Yeah, it's been uh, great. So I. I one thing I noticed is I go through fa- or I went through phases in life where like as a kid, obviously I loved getting Red Wings gear. And then as I got a little bit older, I was like, I still like getting Red Wings gear, but you know, maybe not my entire wardrobe. And then I reached a point where I'm like, I need professional clothes more than anything for like work and stuff. Uh, I don't really have much use for like a lot more Red Wings gear. And then now that we do are doing this podcast and we've been doing video for the past couple of years, I love getting Red Wings gear because I like wearing like Red Wings stuff or hockey related stuff on the show instead of just like whatever rags I'm wearing as I work from home. So it's all ramped up again and it's great. I got a whole new load of stuff and it makes honestly Christmas shopping for my parents easier. Yeah, I, I my Christmas gift to myself this year was actually some clothing, which was nice um, in the sense that I bought some PWHPA stuff for the family <laughs> that was I, that was it. I went to the pop-up shop and i'm like all right what am i getting and then mika's like "Ooh, i want that over my shoulder i'm like all right gotta buy something for her and then crystal's like oh that shirt's nice i kind of want a long sleeve i'll get that and then that that bill racked up in a hurry but again for a good cause i'm for a good more cause than, more than happy to do it and it's adidas <laughs> like apparel too which is like it's like actually good apparel so yeah. that that's a bonus <laughs> Yeah, I showed it to Mel and I was like, pick what you want, but know that this will be a nice shirt. Like it's an Adidas shirt, so it's not just like some dingy thing. Yeah, it's not something you're going to wear washing the car or something like that. <laughs> and on that note, 
back from the holidays, now in full gear for the start of the season. That still sounds weird. Uh, this is the Winged Wheel Podcast. I am Ryan Hanna. I am Brad Crisco. I'm Evan. And that's Evan. Uh, on this episode, we are going to talk a lot about what the Red Wings prospects have been doing in the World Junior uh championship i I always just say world junior someone asked me that is it world juniors world junior championship no one has time for all three words what the red wings prospects have been doing in the world juniors what's been going on in the world of the nhl uh what this means for the red wings and then this is our pacific division preview episode uh and then we'll get into overtime but first the world juniors um i think we have to open with team detroit red wings um i.e. team sweden none of this is a surprise to anyone i think it would have if we were discussing anything else it'd be a massive deployment disappointment but wow have has it been fun to watch just the red wings prospects play and play together and impress in ways that maybe we weren't even expecting i mean i don't think any of us were expecting elmer soderblom to go tweener in the first game uh <laughs> and and not just score on that move, but literally like put it into the top corner with authority. Like that was harder than some players on his team's wrist shot. And he did it between his legs in traffic. <laughs> yeah. Someone tweeted after the goal. They said, guys, emergency podcast for that. And I was like, okay, no, but honestly, close. <laughs> <laughs> I, it didn't didn't hurt that it was Lucas Rand who set him up for it. <laughs> no, it was really, really close. So I actually, I was watching the, the game and the goal kind of went fast and i started clipping it and then as i was watching the clip my dad is sitting next to me i was like holy shit my dad's like what i'm like holy shit he went between his legs my dad's like no he didn't and he looked he went holy shit he did (laughs) the 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 tweener goal is so much fun and it's not like the first time we've seen it i think it's hilarious that he did it on merrick malik's son for those of you who don't remember merrick malik scored the uh classic shootout goal and that extended shootout with the rangers and um I can't remember who it is, um, but he went in between his – yeah, yeah, on the caps. And he went in between his legs for that shootout winner, and it was just like the most unassuming giant defenseman who scored it. And it was it's one of the best shootout goals in NHL history. For, for direct reference, uh, for Red Wings fans who are a little too young to understand this, it would be like if Jonathan Erickson did that. That would be Merrick Malik's closest comparable at the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Merrick Malik's son was in net, and that's who Elmer Soderblom scored on. So, And then, uh, just to add insult to injury, it wasn't the same goalie, but Matt Boldy scored in the same way, same spot today against the Czechs. I love it. Uh, I think it's-, <laughs> it's like, oh, that's just, that's just rubbing it in, and they're not even on the same team. So while we're talking about Soderblom, this guy is 6'7", six, 6'8", six, by some accounts. Big dude. And we've known this since he was been, he's been drafted. He's a guy who's big uh, with a lot of surprising skill and not just like, you know, able to handle the puck out wide with a long stick, which he can do. Um, he's got good puck skill and he's got good puck skill in tight. We know that because he literally went in between his legs and shot at top corner quickly. Um, he's a good stick handler. He knows how to use his body to protect the puck. He still has to work on leveraging that. I think he can get a lot more out of that frame. Um, not necessarily putting on weight, but just, you know, building strength. Um, but the way he's able to handle that puck, 
he's excelled this tournament in a lot of ways. I think his skating has continued to improve in a way where no, it's never going to be his best attribute. He's six foot seven, six foot eight. He's not going to blow your socks off, but he's by no means a bad skater for that size passable at the very least. Um, if this kid keeps going and I'm talking far future and I'm, I'm getting way too big for my britches here, you're looking at Holmstrom with more skill, right? It's it's the catch-22 because I'm not even going to talk about Holmstrom, but one of the narratives I've seen flying around Soderblom pretty heavily over the last few days is, why the hell did we draft Michael Rasmussen ninth overall when we basically got him in the sixth round? Now, I don't think that's fair to Michael Rasmussen because, A, yes, Michael Rasmussen has not lived up to his draft spot, and B, Elmer Soderblom is playing way above his draft spot, so... You know, it's not apples to apples. I do think the nuances of the game, Michael Rasmussen is still light years ahead of Elmer Soderblom. But hands, yeah, for me, advantage Soderblom. Skating, yeah, for me, advantage Soderblom. Um, He doesn't use his strength in front of the net like Rasmussen does. But, like, honestly, there's a very legitimate scenario here where Rasmussen and Soderblom are the net front power play guys on the Red Wings for the next, like, you know, five to ten years. Like... Which would be uh, fantastic to have two behemoths just lined up there. And yes, Lars, I chose that word for you. Um, it's 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 very promising. Again, for a dude who's six foot eight, I, I would like to see him be stronger on the cycle. I would like to see him leverage his his length and his weight a little more than he does. That being said, that's one of the easier things to teach a player like that. We can't teach like uh, no matter how good a trainer is. You can't teach the puck skills Soderblom has. You can't teach the touch he has around the net. You can teach him how to leverage his frame and his stick and his positioning and and how to run a cycle a little better because it's almost counterintuitive. In a lot of ways, it's... Well, not a lot of ways. In one way, it's actually harder for guys like Rasmussen and Soderblom to run a cycle because their length is so long they have a hard time when the puck gets in tight to their body which if you're pushed up against the boards or tight to the boards that is a more difficult play than it would be for someone like lucas raymond now once they have the puck that's a whole different (laughs) argument obviously they would have the advantage in that situations over raymond but i i think everybody understands what i'm saying there but yeah i'm i'm very much on the soderblom hype train uh with more realistic expectations than what I've seen flying around. I don't think he's uh, a lock to be a top six forward on the Red Wings. I don't think he's a lock to be a Red Wing, but could this guy be a third or fourth liner who contributes a bit five on five and is a power play specialist, much like we're banking on Rasmussen being? Absolutely. That's in the realm of possibility right now, which again, we're this, we're two years removed from a sixth round pick and we're saying this, that's a home run already. I'm uh, I'm glad you brought up Michael Rasmussen because an easy thing to do, and you mentioned this, is to use Soderblom's success to translate into, um, you know, screw you, Michael Rasmussen, and what a god awful pick. And you know, feelings on the pick, objectively aside, I think it's important to note that there's room for. It's going to sound funny to say there's room for this, but there's room for more than one massive Red Wings player on the roster, especially when they don't have the biggest glaring deficiency that stops big men from being effective in the NHL, which is skating. Um, Both of them can move their feet. Um, Again, they're not going to be Andreas Athanasiou out there, but at the same time, it's not going to hold them back. Um, 
I like the idea of having two guys who pan out to some degree to be effective in the bottom six or middle six, who then have the ability to use their size and that uh, like those different skill sets that are unique on the ice because they are aberrations in terms of you know how they physically stand on the ice compared to the average height of a hockey player. You know, you you have two different guys to stick in front of the net on both your power play units. You want to physically dominate on a pe- penalty kill or however their skills translate. Um, it, it doesn't necessarily mean Soderblom and Rasmussen out or Rasmussen and Soderblom can't make it. It's just purely good for Soderblom at this point. It's really good news and it's important to not just draw on the negative because it's easy. Yeah, and we don't. I don't want to shoehorn them as players either because, again, Michael Rasmussen has emerged, at least to people who believe analytics – um, as a defensive, like stalwart, like his defensive metrics, even from the AHL, the NHL were, were fantastic. And Soderblom ha- has shown some touch off the rush as well, which you wouldn't think from a guy who's six, eight. And, uh, I can't remember if it was the pre-tournament game or the game against the Czech Republic when he absolutely stole that one defenseman's soul on the toe drag coming down the left side. I think it was beautiful. Uh, wish he would have shot that instead of forcing a pass into traffic. But still, the fact that he pulled that off was ridiculous. And the funny thing is, we've spent how long talking about uh, probably the third or fourth most consequential Red Wings prospect on Team Sweden. So <laughs> that's a real good sign to begin with. Yeah. Um, well, well, jumping over to one of the more consequential ones, we'll save Lucas Raymond for now. Watching Theodore Niederbach out there. This might sound like, uh, you know, revisionist or someone who's just got Red Wings colored lenses on, but I'm really glad Niederbach's out out there doing exactly what we would have expected from him. It would have been fantastic to see him to see him like lighting up the tournament and scoring, you know, as many points as Trevor Zegras right now. But it would have seemed a little bit surprising, and you would have thought, oh, okay, this is maybe a little bit of an outlier. It would have been nice, but that really wasn't my focus. I wanted to see how Theodore Niederbach played with better talent more consistently, and we have seen him get those minutes, especially on the power play, from what I watched on Team Sweden. I mean, he's played with Raymond and Soderblom a lot, um, and not to mention Johansson and Berglund when they're on the ice, too. Um, he fits in well. There's a couple points to his game where I'm like, okay, like that's something that comes with a little bit more experience in ice time, like, you know, just finishing the easy shot or, or uh, not getting too complicated. But the guy has skill and he fits in and he's keeping up. And this is a guy who's just getting this expanded ice time and expanded role recently, even going back to when he was with Ferlunda, which he still is, but, you know, playing in the SHL at the moment. So the one caveat to all this is Sweden hasn't played Russia or the States yet. And um, the reason I bring that up before talking about Niederbach is the same concern I have with Niederbach about what he's done in the SHL, what it will tr- do when he translates to the NHL is kind of the same as, as this tournament. What he's good at, I, I figured he'd be able to do against the Czechs, against Austria, against the low, like not that the Czechs are a bad team, but like, against the non-powerhouses. I have concerns about Niederbach's pace. We know his hockey IQ is through the roof. We know his skill is top, top notch. Whether or not he's able to do it fast enough at the next level was the question about Niederbach. And again, when you have major surgery on your knee when you're 16 years old, of course, that's going to be a concern. 
Um, if he is able to do against the States and Russia, what he's done against the Czechs and Austria, my, I, my, it's a small sample size, but my hopes for him will go up 20, 30% because that's going to be his big test in this tournament. Um, cause again, he, he controls the power play. He's got two goals. He's done exactly what I would have expected him to do against the lower level teams in this tournament. And we'll get into the Quinton Byfield talk later, but it's, it's kind of the same argument. It's like you expect guys to produce against the weaker teams. And he has like Soderblom has like Lucas Raymond has like Albert Johansson has, you can't fault them for producing against these teams. They're supposed to. So when they do, it should be applauded. And that's exactly what we're doing. We don't have anything really negative to say here, but that's a long winded way of saying I am going to be watching Niederbach against the States and Finland, probably closer than I will any other Red Wings prospect on that team. Evan, I saw you were trying to jump in there and I cut you off. Earlier. <laughs> um, no, I don't really have anything to add. Um, both of those two guys have looked good so far at the start of the tournament. They haven't played, you know, the, the best teams in their pool yet. Um, but in terms of where they should be up to this point, I, I've thought they both have looked really good. And Soderblom's been actually someone I've thought more of after those first two games. I did, really didn't expect much. Uh, from him, but I de- and I definitely didn't expect uh, the performances he's had so far. And going back to Soderblom, it is fair, um, and honestly, we should qualify all of this by saying um, it should be recognized that someone's size advantage is amplified when they go from playing against men, which you are in the SHL, to playing juniors, which you are in the world juniors. Um, there's a concentration of talent, of course, which, uh, you know, that drop off might vary. Or, you know, if you're playing only the top talent from these countries, you actually might be playing more skilled players compared to, you know, the worst SHL team, what have you. Um, but genuinely, the, the size advantage does, you do get to leverage it more. I, like going back to what Brad said, Soderblom, he does need to leverage his actual size more. If he was playing against men right now, he wouldn't be as physically dominant. But it's you're seeing the right things, right? Like you can't fault him for doing well. It would it would be concerning if he was doing poorly, but he's not. He's doing really well. Um, Lucas Raymond, in my mind, I'm really excited to watch the tournament progress. You know, two games is a very small sample size, which I mean, the Quinton Byfield talk. I think Brad has some words for you shortly. Um, it's it's not enough to uh, draw an entire conclusion, but man, Lucas Raymond has not been getting a ton of ice time, and I'm excited every time he touches the puck still. I, I think he's constantly looking to make things happen, and you can see it happening on the ice. This is a very, very skilled player, and all over the ice, too. Like, an insane, like, 90-foot back check. Like, I love watching this kid play. So again, with the qualification relative to the teams they've been playing, my God, I don't even know if it's that much of a criticism because it's kind of shift to shift. My only criticism of Raymond so far is there's been some shifts where you could tell he's like screwing around because he knows he's so much better than the competition (laughs) he's out there against. Like that one pass that, um, again, it was an unreal pass where they were coming through the neutral zone. He got it on the boards, did a 360 forehand pass across the ice and hit the guy in stride. Like it was a beautiful beautiful pass 
every NHL coach would crucify him if he tried that in, in an NHL game. So again, relative to the competition you're playing, you can get away with stuff like that. But then again, he's had shifts where he he was the first back checker back on like odd man rushes and like would take the puck. So it's maybe his coach did crucify him for it. But yeah, he's you expect Lucas Raymond to look dominant and he has. Like I don't have much more to add to that. He, he the counting stats might not be there, uh, partially due to some bad luck, partially due to some ridiculous saves, partially due to him sometimes, like I said, screwing around and trying to make the extra play when it's not really necessary. But yeah, it, it's been so much fun to watch. You could see a few times where he th- he definitely thought he should have finished an opportunity, and he kind of either looked up to the sky or he said something under his breath to, about to himself. So there's been a few that I thought he would he would finish a little better, um, but like the first two guys, like they all look good so far in this tournament, and it's like Lucas Raymond has done some ridiculous stuff, but even like the little stuff you see him him do in games, like just like the in tight space moves he makes, and it's just like this kid is at a different level than the players he's playing against. Um, which is definitely true based on the first two teams. Um, so it will be really interesting to see when they play the U.S. Uh, in Finland. No, or Russia, sorry. Russia. Yeah, U.S. and Russia. USA and Russia. Um, how he fares, but he's looked ex- excellent so far. Fun fact, actually, when uh, Lucas Raymond is like looking at the sky and mumbling, if you zoom in, he's saying, tell your friends to listen to the Winged Wheel podcast, however they get their podcast, even on YouTube. So that's a crazy coincidence that he was saying all that. Um, it was a shock to me, I'll tell you. Um, uh, question, how do we convince New Jersey to just let Detroit have Holtz? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it feels, it feels like the Terror Twins should have never been broken up because it is disgusting how well they play off each other. <laughs> you can't separate a bonded pair. Everyone knows that. It's this pretty is o- cruel to do. This is Ottawa's fault. They could have done it. They could have. They could have. I'm glad they didn't, but they could have. Um, the World Juniors. We'll we'll talk a little bit about the term. Oh, sorry, Albert Johansson. Yeah, I was going to say, how Berglund. dare you disrespect our boy? Yeah, um, Gustav. I'll, I'll do Gustav Berglund. He's had. Um, he wasn't in the first game. He's been in for um, the Edmonton pick. What's his name? Broberg. Yeah, uh, Broberg, who's the captain of Sweden, who sat out the after the Edmonton first game. pick. The one, of, one of the many players we spent hours breaking down that year. Now we Did just I, it all becomes the Edmonton a, pick. It's like an exam. As soon as it's done, it's out <laughs> out the brain. Don't talk to me about it ever again. I couldn't even tell you who the top seven picks of this draft were. Brad, he's not wrong. This is how ste- like this is how STEM kids were in university. Like, yes, I. I have so much embryology, like the carcass of like embryology and organic chemistry knowledge in this head, and I could not tell you one specific. I learned how to study, not how to not to learn things. <laughs> I learned how to study. <laughs> um, yeah, Berg, I, I thought Berglund. I didn't notice him a lot on the ice. It's really hard to considering the quality competition they were playing. Like when you outscore or when you outshoot Austria like sixty to five or whatever the hell it was, like your defense aren't going to be pressed. Berglund got on the scoreboard with assists, so like. Good for him for stepping in and doing that right away. Do you and guys have the, the same issue that I have? Well, probably not, but I'll just explain my issue. Um, um, do you guys ever, like, when I watch the World Juniors, I have a really tough time distinguishing who's who because I feel like they all look so similar. 
Yeah. Unless they're like Almer Soderblom and they're 10 feet taller than everybody else. But when I watch them at like the OHL level or the junior level, I can pick them out no problem. But Team Canada, a lot of the players, I have such a tough time recognizing who they are. I don't know if that's just because I'm old um, or what it is, but I don't know what it is. I just, they all kind of look the same to me until I like really, you know, I have to pause my TV. So thankfully, um, I think all hockey does this, but I know the world junior does to separate the players. They have numbers. Makes it oh, I definitely can't receive that. Piss <laughs> off, Brad. <laughs> I'm only watching it in 4K on a 55 inch TV. I, yeah, I can't it's hard. Get, now wait, that's wait till I get the 75 incher, and then we'll be. I'll have no excuse. Now, do I? Could I name like half of Team Sweden? Looking at them, no, of course not. I, I can pick out the Red Wings guys. Uh, Team Canada is the one that actually pisses me off because, like, I know Cole Perfetti is number 91, and I I know what he looks like as a player. So to me, it would take me. 10 seconds to be able to pick out Perfetti on the ice, except for Team Canada employs that stupid Lou Lamorello rule where you can't have high numbers. Kirby Doc, you're our captain, but nope, you're not wearing 77. Cole Perfetti, you've been wearing 91 your whole life. Not here, you're fucking not. It's so archaic and stupid, and it screws me up for a while because that first Canada game I watch, I legit don't know their numbers, and I'm literally just going off, okay, I know Cousins is tall, right-handed, skates well. I think that's him. Okay, they said their name. I've got him. And now I've got to pick up somebody else. It's, ah, God, you have no idea how much that pisses me off, especially considering, like, almost, I feel like every top player from Canada wears a high number regularly. He's not playing anymore, but Doc was 77, Perfetti's 91, Byfield's 55. Like, it's infuriating, and I hate it. So it's not just me. No, no, it's definitely okay. Good. No, with with Sweden, I had no issues because I know what number Luke. I know Lucas Raymond's number eighteen. It's like at least with them, it's easier. <laughs> I find that uh, whether we know it or not, we learn players based off of like their build, like what they look like. They're they're. I don't know. It sounds like a dumb well. Think of Pavel Datsuk, for example. Pavel Datsuk, yeah. could wear no number and look exactly like anyone else, but as soon as he plays, you know exactly who he is. Hundred percent, and so we go from watching Red Wings or even like NHLers who we constantly see on highlights. Like we know how they skate, we know how they stand, we know what kind of like shoulder pads they wear, like subconsciously. And then I'm like, is that Holtz? No, that's Holtz. That's also Holtz. Sweden has a lot of Holtzes. No one told me. If if they were a first round pick in a recent draft, I will say I've picked them out, no problem. <laughs> yeah, you're better than us. We get it. Yeah, and on because that note, I've you had, do Albert Johansson. I've had so many goddamn hours so, into these kids. Like I'm like, oh yeah, that's Jack Quinn. Okay, yeah, that's Connor Zary. It's the like I, Jordan Spence gets the pocket. Who the f is that? But Brad, uh, I think you contradicted yourself because you said. You no. couldn't recognize the Canadians, but you it, could also recognize the first round picks. And that's what most we of call Canada. Canada. Yeah, most of Canada. Um, yeah, that's fair. I'm trying to think. Uh, Connor McMichael, I missed for a bit. Zary, I missed for a bit this year. Uh, Peltier was, I, I don't think I knew who he was for about three periods. Um, but yeah, there was a few. Um, but getting to Albert Johansson, uh, a guy whose skating stride is very recognizable. Um, yeah, he's been, again, as Evan mentioned, defensively, they haven't had to do a lot. So it's been focusing on what he's been doing offensively, and his transitions have been clean. His puck movement and his overall movement in the offensive zone have been great. I think he's got at least one or two assists, so he's showed up on the scoreboard, um, which is good because Sweden hasn't been putting up the sheer catastrophic number of goals that Canada has. 
Um, but yeah, I mean, he's looked good. Not a lot to go on so far, but no complaints thus far. Um, Emil Vero in Finland and Bednar with the check. Just has Bednar played? I don't think so. I don't. I think it's been Parikh and Malik. That can't be a coincidence that they picked those two. But <laughs> um, yeah, so yeah, so just very quickly on the World Juniors before we move along here. Um, it's hard a year like this where ice time has been so limited and so much hockey has been shut down. It really creates a lot more spread in the tournament than I think you typically see. Like, yeah, the worst teams are going to be the worst teams, and we know who those are coming into each tournament. There's very few surprises that way. But you don't expect 16 nothing with Canada easing off for the last 10 minutes. You don't expect more than one double-digit goal win. And I feel for these teams because – the ones at the bottom get hit the hardest. It's the the poorest are have even less to eat. That's just how it goes, even in sports, right? Like it's not really a fair represent representation of these teams' programs. Um, I have so much respect for them going out there and playing their guts out. And uh, that Austrian goalie should never have to buy beer in Austria again. Although I think beer in Austria is dirt cheap, anyways. Um, it, it's really really tough, and it's it's tough to see. It doesn't make for a great tournament. Like, and I, I hope it, the lasting effects of this is like our, our shorter term. But yeah, uh, I don't know. Just worth noting, I think. Yeah, it's kind of one of those odd years where the smaller countries, it, it seems to be a weaker group for them. And then it's coupled with the fact that there's no NHL. So the Americans and the Canadians and the Russians have players they might not have otherwise had. So stacking them even further than they already would have been has created some less than stellar hockey so far would probably be the polite way of putting it. Like one of the maybe even the best game of the tournament so far has been Germany, Slovakia. So take from that what you will. But uh, thankfully, they back load the the. Round robin. So now we're going to see Canada, Finland, Sweden versus the U.S., Sweden versus Russia. So it'll it'll get fun now. Yeah, I think if the North American players had more time, like an actual camp and played more exhibition games, I think some of these beatdowns would have been a lot worse because they would have had way more reps. Like a lot of these guys on Team Canada haven't really played it. February, March of this year, which is was like 5,000 days ago. Um, it is what it is. Like, obviously, nobody wants to smash a team 16 nothing. Um, but when goal differential counts, it has to happen, I guess. Like, it sucks. Like, nobody wants to do it. Nobody wants to be on either side. Um, it sucks watching that Germany game against Canada because Germany was had. Germany had less players than Canada had first rounders. Like it was just like, <laughs> let's just get through this game and move on. But you know, that's what those teams, those teams have to at some point play the higher competition and play the the top teams like Canada. And, and it helped, you know, getting beat down like that does help grow their, their development. Um, it's just kind of hard to watch. Yeah. And it, the, like, it doesn't even resemble like a real hockey game. It it does feel like a shinny at some point. It does for like the first five minutes or until the goals really start coming. And then after that, it's just, let's all just get through this. Let's 
Germany use it as a learning experience. Austria use it as a learning experience. Canada use it as a time to get some reps in and not develop bad tendencies. Um, uh, it's just a formality at that point. Yeah. And then imagine taking super hardline opinions out of games like that, which, which because it's Canada, of course it happened. Oh. God, I, I love it so much. I love every single year. Canada could be 4-0 with one goal against, and there's always question marks. It's a tradition unlike any other. Is it time for a Mike Milbury minute, Brad? Uh, do, I don't know if I'll fit this in a minute. That's, that's I'll give you 60 seconds. That's my offer. All right, I'm gonna try. I'm not gonna yell like a traditional Mike Milbury minute, but I'll try. I'll try. The stern dad in. talk is yeah. always just as effective. Yeah. Okay. I got right. the perfect opening line for it too. All right. The Mike Milbury minute is when we scream and shout about something stupid, uh, like someone, a random sports commentator who we won't name might do. So this is uh, Brad's rendition of the Mike Milbury minute, starting now. Let me start by saying I'm not angry. I'm just disappointed. But what did Quinton Byfield do to piss in all of your cornflakes? He played in two basically inconsequential games in the World Juniors. Played fine. He wasn't super noticeable. And everybody's like, yep, he's a bust. I knew it. And this is coming from a guy who was lower on Byfield than most people going into this draft. I had him in the Raymond Stutzler tier and not the Lafreniere tier like most people did. So not that I'm a huge fanboy of his. These games mean nothing. You can tell half the team's phoning it in because it's 16 to 2. And then just in a mm, the ultimate poetic justice, the Canada-Switzerland game just wrapped up where Quentin Byfield had six points and player of the game for Canada. And then all the same dumbasses are going, oh, yeah, but he did it against Switzerland. Okay, well, if you're going to crucify him for not showing up against the weak teams and then crucify him for showing up against the weak teams, you literally just hate him, accept your bias, shut up, scream into the void, and learn how to evaluate hockey because why is this a talking point three games into the tournament? Jesus Christ. Did I make it to a minute? You did a minute five, actually, so. Good enough. Wow, Ryan. That's a paddling. We're supposed to have standards here. Good Hey, you know what? It's the last one to close. This is the last episode to close out 2020. So that's true. You can bend the rules. And yeah, we missed I mean, fest- the Festivus air- airing of grievances. So yeah, really, you, you know, that extra five is. seconds was warranted. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, calling a second overall pick a bust after two meaningless games after, There's you know, some, it's people, just when you don't, it's the stupidest thing ever, but um, because he's just a whipping boy because his whole stock is based on potential, even though he's already unreal. Like, I don't understand. I, I, some, at some moments understand why he's a whipping boy and other ones. I'm like, but why? But also why he's unreal. Every game I've ever watched him live, he didn't really look like he did anything, but he'd have five of five points in a seven goal game. Yeah. And that was our whole thing with Byfield scouting him. That was like basically our final analysis was, yes, we have actual legitimate concerns about his creativity offensively, but he always makes a smart play, the smart, usually simple play, but it's effective. (laughs) Even, even tonight, like I didn't, he didn't do anything to wow you. But he had like three primary assists, two goals, and he had one move on the blue line to set up. Um, yeah, his secondary assist was probably his nicest that assist. Was the nicest, like, Jesus that Christ. was the nicest move I saw from him all night, but he still wound up with six points. That's just <laughs> kind of who he is. 
Because when you're 6'4", you can skate like the wind, and you have good hands and unreal shot, you generally don't need to do anything complicated because that's enough to get you by. This again, is- legit, like again, to kind of side with the opposite here, I understand why there would be concerns about that style of game translating to the NHL because if he isn't bigger, faster, and stronger than everybody, will it be effective? Yeah, maybe, maybe not. That's to be seen, but... Oh my God, to claim him a bust after games against Germany and Slovakia after Team Canada barely had a training camp because they had to be locked down for two weeks because of COVID. (laughs) I could not believe that was a talking point for 48 straight hours. Like I was legitimately shocked. It's Eric Lindros's fault. Really, it is. Honestly, it has to be. It's because if Quentin Byfield was four inches shorter, we wouldn't be having this conversation. Absolutely correct. The hockey community's remarkable, consistent, never-failing inability to grasp nuance is the (laughs) only measure I have to know we haven't flipped to an alternate universe. I'm not even going to say this is nuance. This is just (laughs) dumb. Just another thing here, like watching Trevor Zegras light up the tournament is awesome as a hockey fan and causes weird feelings in me i love more outsider and i don't i i would never wish him away from the red wings i think he's just been such a phenomenal pick and story through and through so far i still would have loved uh trevor zegras i'm not going to say more than cider now but at the time we are all very open that was our preferred pick you literally can't have that conversation out in the open without just getting absolutely lambasted at every single yeah, from every single corner to the point where I just used the word lamb used the word lambasted out loud. I think I've only ever read that word before today. Like it is actually stupid how like the people can't grasp finer details when it comes to hockey player evaluation, especially at the junior level. And people really hate to change their opinion on players to post draft or pre draft or wherever. It doesn't really matter where they are in their draft eligibility. Like, I wasn't super high on Dylan Cousins in his draft year, but I've actually really liked him so far in this tournament. I think he is potentially NHL ready. So, you know, your opinion can change on these guys. Like, God, you know, it's so pathetic. People, like, just lambast 18-year-olds. Like, they're kids. They're young. Like, give them a chance. Like, and to bash people on Twitter, like, Get a life. I I am so happy both of you mentioned that like changing opinions thing because someone called me out after I sent out a positive tweet about Moritz Sider and they're like, oh, uh, you're not allowed to do this. You were angry when we drafted him. I'm like, yes, but I also have eyes and I've seen everything he's done since the draft, which has blown away everybody's, including yours, expectations. Of course I had I have a higher opinion of him now because he just had the best hockey season of his life. And he's currently in the middle of the current best hockey season of his life. Of course, my opinion has come up on him. And it's like, again, my opinions on Quinton Byfield could still change based on what happens over the rest of this tournament and the rest of this season. Cause you know, he plays in the OHL, so he hasn't got the play yet. And it's just, and it's funny too, because I don't get it because I didn't see this narrative around Quinton Byfield during the draft. Again, yeah, some people had Stutzla at two, but that was more so because of how good Stutzla was. Um, There weren't these like bust claims about Byfield. He's played, obviously, this was all this um, 
talk was before the game against Switzerland today. He's played two games since the draft. What's changed is my only question. Why is he a whipping boy now, but he wasn't in October? It's He's played two games. I'd rather be upset. Like, I'd rather be upset with a Moritz Sider pick and then be pleasantly proven wrong than be a big brainer saying like, oh, yeah, I, I love this pick, blah, 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 blah. Like, I didn't like the Moritz Sider pick. I was... I didn't li- listen to the rest of the draft <laughs> after that pick. I turned it off. I was at a cottage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> of course, there's less about more insider, more about the cottage. Uh, what a weekend it was, my friends. Um, but yeah, now that he's he's proved me wrong. I mean, he hasn't played in a game in the NHL yet, but everything he's done since that moment has changed my opinion on him. And I'd rather it be that way than be a big brainer. And while we're at it too, it's it. Another pet peeve in the same vein is when people, you're allowed to be happy with a pick and still in retro, like looking back at hindsight 2020, say it was the wrong pick because uh, the Zadina pick, we can't, we cannot say we like Philip Zadina anymore because half the people will yell at us. Yeah, but we should have drafted Quinn Hughes. And if we go, well, yeah, we should have drafted Quinn Hughes. The other half will go, what? You don't like Philip Zadina? No, I love Phillips Zadina. I think it was a great pick. And in, if we could redo it, yeah, we're picking Hughes. Both things can be true. I still have very high hopes for Zadina. I still agree it was the right pick at the time. And yeah, if I could go back in time and redo the pick, I'm picking Hughes. It can all be true at the same time, just while we're on the subject. Should have bought Bitcoin and should have invested in Amazon. Hindsight's right, honestly. 2020. Um, okay, I'm going to move us along here uh, to our Pacific Division preview because uh, we want to cover that in a couple notes about the NHL before jumping into overtime here. Um, all right. The, the, sorry. It's not even the Pacific division. It's the West division. That's what they're calling it. And this division is comprised of Anaheim, Arizona, Colorado, LA, Minnesota, San Jose, St. Louis, and Vegas. I'm just going to go, go out there and say this now. It's obvious the top three we're working with here are Vegas, St. Louis, and Colorado with that last spot being up for grabs in my mind. Um, St. Louis flipped to this division just because of uh, preference from, I think it was their local TV uh, partner, um, preferred that start time um, with the, the different, because uh, St. Louis is in central time zone, I believe, or yeah, central time zone. And they liked the kind of Pacific time zone starts that you get with that conference or that division usually, sorry. Um, so they flipped over there. Uh, yeah, and it just adds a little bit more weight to the top of that division as well. So St. Louis, Vegas, Colorado, those are teams that have been at the top. They'll continue to be at the top. Arizona is just a train wreck. I don't expect them to challenge. Uh, Minnesota is a confusing team as always. LA is kind of a an enigma. Like how much of a change are we going to see in them this year? They're one of those teams that seems to have done a lot of things right on paper to do a very quick pivot in their rebuild when just a year or two ago we were saying, what the hell are they doing? Uh, it's very New York Rangers-esque of them. Um, so, yeah, I don't have hope for Arizona, but beyond those big three, I can see any one of Anaheim, San Jose, or Minnesota, or LA even challenging for that fourth spot. Um, I'm less optimistic about Minnesota than you are, but I, I could see it. Um, it's nice of Arizona to be catastrophically terrible in a year where they could finish behind Detroit, but it won't actually affect Detroit's draft slot. So super appreciative of that. Um, yeah, I mean, this division's going to be fun. Um, not the greatest division for storylines this year, but 
I am curious to see what Vegas is going to look like with Petrangelo once, you know, they get under the cap because we don't really know what they look like yet because they might have to move a significant player still. Probably not. As tamper proved, you can always wriggle your way out of these things. But they do. I uh, loved the Mike Hoffman pickup for St. Louis. Um, so that's another good team that's going to still be good. Uh, is Tory Krug Alex Petrangelo? No, but you know, if you were going to lose Petrangelo, it's a hell of a way to plug the hole. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I think San Jose's not as bad as they were last year. I don't think they're a contender. Don't get me wrong. But if you told me now they were going to sneak into a wild card playoff spot or like the four spot, I should say, I could see it. Wouldn't bet on it, but I could see it. Um, God, I say that way too much. But anyways, um, yeah, I'm pretty much in, in line with what Ryan's thinking here, except I, I pretty firmly have uh, Minnesota and Arizona in the bottom here. And then Anaheim, San Jose, I have in the same category with a bit more faith in San Jose to bounce back. And then, yeah, we know what the top of this division is going to look like. We know it's Colorado. We know it's St. Louis. We know it's Vegas. Like, There's not a lot of mystery here in this division or a lot of intrigue in this division i should say which now that i've said that yeah anaheim's gonna win the division san jose is getting number four and vegas is somehow gonna finish seventh like (laughs) whenever i feel relatively confident about an opinion or a prediction i have it always blows up yeah and when i was building up my rankings sorry not my rankings my standings for for the west division i did land on like some pretty solid spots i have one, two, and three seeds being Colorado, Vegas, and St. Louis in that order. If St. Louis jumps Vegas, I wouldn't be surprised. Honestly, even if Colorado doesn't finish first, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, just because of the movement on Vegas and St. Louis, I, I, I kind of think they might have some adjustment periods or anything like that. Losing Petrangelo is not easy. Or if you're Petrangelo joining a new system, might pose for some you know uh, um, rougher edges to start. But that isn't always the case. Anyways, that's in my top three. I then kind of have, I don't even believe in this, but I think, hey, just to get weird, let's put LA in that fourth spot. Let's just say they have a super good year, a lot of puck luck, a lot of good PDO, um, any moves they've made, any prospects coming up really pan out for them. Uh, San Jose fifth, Anaheim sixth, Minnesota seventh, and Arizona eighth. I, I disagree with you in LA. <laughs> that's a bit of a hot take yeah and i i, res- I respect it I, I that's why they call me hot take ryan yeah i, I respect you going out on a limb there um just i don't la's defense and goaltending i mean they're gonna give detroit a run in, in those categories I, I actually like detroit's goaltending better that's a strength of ours and their defense uh, pretty comparable to to LA's because Drew Doughty has seen far better days and legitimately off the top of my head right now I'm struggling to name another defenseman on the Kings <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay maybe I shouldn't have LA <laughs> I I, w- I was gonna use that as a joke I actually can't think of one and this is not good um, not that I pay super close attention to LA I still have a lot of faith that they're gonna score a bunch of goals this year especially if some of the young guys take step forwards take steps forward this year like we expect they will uh ryan can you pull up their roster can you tell me who their other defensemen are like this is actually pissing me off now yeah i'll do that now why don't you do the uh your standings and then i'll pull up the okay well i have colorado first for obvious reasons um i'm going to go 
St. Louis second, just because I really like the the Hoffman addition there. Um, I think I'm still super concerned about their goaltending, but I don't know. I just I feel like St. Louis is going to have something to prove this year. Uh, with Petrangelo leaving and Krug coming in again, Hoffman was a nice pickup. Tarasenko will be healthy this year. I just, I, I've got a feeling there's not a lot of. My head tells me I should pick Vegas number two, but I'm going to put St. Louis there. Then obviously Vegas number three. Um, I don't love the bottom five of this division, so I am just going to get weird. I'm going to put San Jose at number four. I mean, between Carlson, Vlasic. Burns, Couture. I don't think all of them are going to have bounce back years, but I got to think at least a couple of them are going to have a bounce back year. Their goaltending might be the worst in the division, but I mean, that's too much talent to keep down. And me putting San Jose at number four isn't really a testament to how much faith I have in San Jose being good again. It's just how bad the rest of this division is because I have even less faith in the rest of these teams. I'll go Anaheim number five because John Gibson is criminally underrated. Um, I'll go Los Angeles six because yeah, they'll probably score some goals this year. A lot of five, four games in their future. And then I'll go Minnesota seven and, or no. Yeah. Minnesota seven and Arizona eight. So before Evan goes here, I will, I would like to say that before the season has even started, I have already made an incorrect hot take. (laughs) Okay. Drew Doughty is the one that we know. This is going to include a lot of players who um, are in the minors. Like they, they haven't differentiated people who are in the minors, the AHL, or even in maybe the junior system. I'm going to read out in order of who I know to who I don't know, in which case I'm just going to do ap- alphabetical. Drew Doughty. These are the LA's defensemen. Drew Doughty, Oli Mata, um, uh, <laughs> Sean Dursey. Oh, Kale no. Clag. There's hope Mark, for him. He's young. Okay, that's n- that's n- that's maybe a positive. Now I'm going alphabetical order. Mark Alt, Mikey Anderson. His name is Mikey. Daniel Brickley, uh, Cole Holtz, Curtis McDermott, Jacob Moverer, Marcus Phillips, Matt Roy, Austin Strand, and Sean Walker. Matt Roy's better than he gets credit for. Yeah, I'll give that. And he's from Detroit, I believe. Yeah, that's if that's the nicest thing I can say. Oh my god! And then their goaltending's yeah. what? Cal Peterson and Jonathan Quick, and oh, sorry, I should say the shell of Jonathan Quick. Uh, yeah. Oh my Did god! They want to Bernier back? Oh my god! Detroit's defense group is literally better than theirs, and I'm and I don't even think that's a hot take. I think that's actually a pretty comfortable take. All right, Evan, now that <laughs> oh I've spelled God. out that you should not make LA your hot take, what's your standings? So LA's going to win the division. <laughs> um, but in actuality, I, it'll be Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, in that order. Um, after that, who really cares? Um, who sucks the least? Well, Minnesota has been the most vanilla hockey team since their inception. So they'll finish fourth. <laughs> they got Camp Talbot. Maybe that helps them. Maybe it doesn't. But everyone else they added are basically just boring hockey players. Before you go to your next one, Minnesota overachieving in a shortened season to make the playoffs just to get wiped in the first round, but they made the playoffs. So 
they immediately think they're better than they actually are and don't do a proper rebuild again would be the most Minnesota thing that's ever happened to them. It's the circle of life. <laughs> some things change, some things stay the same, and Minnesota will once again be in uh, draft purgatory. <laughs> Not sure what to do with the current roster, so they'll just keep trading around for guys who haven't done anything in three years. <laughs> um, yeah, so Minnesota will take the fourth spot. After that, it's once again, it's... Who cares? Um, Anaheim can't score goals, and they did nothing to change that. Mike Hoffman sat there for what felt like a year on the free agent market. They didn't pick him up. And then they just let Andreas Athanasiu go down the road to LA. Just absolute mistake, Anaheim. Yeah. Oh, so side, side note, I am actually legitimately angry about that because I would have a thousand percent bought Mika an Anaheim Athanasiu retro reverse if that had happened. LA's are still sick, still compi- still considering that, but I just want that on the record. Yeah. After that, I mean, I still like the goaltending um, that Arizona has, so they'll take the next spot, but I, I really don't see much with their forward core uh, there. Um, who do I have left? It's hard to even remember some of these teams because they're so bad. <laughs> um, who's left? San Jose and Anaheim? San Jose is... Where do you say LA would finish? Oh, did I not say LA? So uh, what I have so far is Colorado, Vegas, St. Louis, Minnesota. Then you started talking about Anaheim. Do you have them fifth? No, I have San Jose. Uh, okay, so San Jose fifth, and then you have Arizona sixth. No, so sorry, Arizona, then, uh, then San Jose. Oh, wow. Arizona fifth, San Jose sixth, and then now you have LA and Anaheim left. Oh, <laughs> cares? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man um i'll say anaheim i okay sure yeah gibson's really good la really bad <laughs> like that's the hard-hitting analysis you get in the winged wheel podcast yeah like it, it it's gonna be lean years for both those teams let's just hope it ends quickly um yeah it's a little bit of a bear west division preview i know there's not a lot not a lot of diving into it the thing is beyond the draft and that flurry of like couple weeks of moves we're just seeing things start to like shake loose now um i guess this is now flowing into you know the rest of the nhl topics mike hoffman and andreas athens you should not have been on the free agency market or free agent market for as long as they were especially the former mike hoffman of course is going to st louis on a very nearly cap circumventy pto which is a professional tryout which is usually given to the like brad crisco playing senior a's of the nhl and not the like evan lobsinger uh i'm actually a really good player players but the reason st louis is doing it this way is because they can't technically sign hoffman right now because of cap rules and ltir but once they're able to put players on ltir they'll be able to execute the contract which is already agreed to a 100 um hoffman's too good of a play he's not a pto player hoffman's like a this guy is still scoring 30 goals player yeah i mean and when Athanasiu signed in LA. The first impression I got is, man, does Twitter really hate Andreas Athanasiu? I mean, he didn't have the greatest year last year, but that was with a terrible shooting percentage. And I mean, he's literally one year removed from a 30 goal season. So I don't care what you think of him for less than $2 million to get a recent 30 goal score. That doesn't happen in a non-COVID world. (laughs) Yeah. Someone was like, yeah, he did nothing with Edmonton. He played with McDavid and uh, Dreisaitl. I'm like, he played nine games. He played two games with McDavid. That Like, Dave Tippett put him in the bottom six almost immediately. 
I did look it up and 25% of his ice time was on a McDavid line. I think it, it actually ached up towards 30%, but still. Okay, that's more than I thought. It wasn't a good nine games, but it was nine games on a brand new team in the middle of a season. All when he was already having a bad season, like we knew he was having a bad season. Actually, too, that math might hold up 25, 30%. Because if he played two or three games with McDavid, he probably was getting close to 20 minutes a night there. And then when he got bumped down, he, fair. Yeah, he would have got 10 to 15 minutes in all likelihood. And I don't care enough to look up these stats in detail. <laughs> yeah, uh, CU for 1.2 is exactly what any team would have had to have signed him to for it to be a great deal for them. It's low risk. At worst case, he doesn't pan out and he's gone in a year and it costs you nothing on the cap. Best case, and I think a realistic case, is it's a good injection, middle six, and especially for LA, who has a lot of transitional or a lot of good young players coming up. You want some transitional talent to to kind of coax them along and to be able to fit into those higher slots in the, slots in the lineup before they're ready, right? So, yeah, I like that signing for them. I mean, Detroit should have signed him for that, put him on the second line in between uh, Zadina and Fabry, and then flipped him at the deadline for a couple more second-round picks. Like, missed opportunities here. <laughs> <laughs> can, can you imagine they got him they traded him to ken holland again <laughs> um other trades that happened okay so tampa bay has been and, and we said this was coming just because this is the way the hockey universe works because tampa bay absolutely had a gun to their head cap wise something would come in to save them obviously having that something being uh losing kucherov for the entire season is not good for tampa bay like let's put that out there right now kucherov is one of the best players on the planet at the moment he's not far removed from like a 130 point season they are not happy about losing uh kucherov but kucherov is confirmed out for the season or close to it um will be ltir'd and between that and their trade with ottawa uh i think they are essentially set for the cap is that correct well, they traded Braden Coburg, Cedric Peckett in exchange for Marion Kavarek and Anders Nilsson. Yeah, it was Coburn, Paquette, and uh, their second. 20s, 22 second. And then they took on uh, Gabrick and Anders Nielsen's uh, contracts. So, yeah, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Like, those are LTIR contracts. It's it's Tampa Bay working the LTIR Um it's essentially removed the opportunity for a team like Detroit to go in and force their hand. Um, Tampa Bay gets away without having to give up a lot there. Like they're not really upset about losing that second round pick. They just won the cup and they've got to keep their extremely high end core. Um, Again, it's not good to lose Kucherov. Although I will say if you're ever going to lose Kucherov, lose Kucherov during a bullshit 56 game season where you're playing the same seven other teams a hundred times right like 56 times sorry yeah sucks for detroit great for tampa bay whatever luck eisenman left there is still working um and also honestly a lot of credit to uh breeze Bois over in tampa yeah i mean he was able to uh say hey uncle eugene you want to get your cap hit up while not spending some dollars oh have i got a deal for you and melon looks like spend less money you say 40 chess. Speak, speaking of which, Derek Stepan, who's not owed a lot of real dollars this year, but has a high cap hit of $6.5 million, Ottawa acquired him from Arizona, who needed the help in exchange for a second-round pick. Uh, that- I know why it happened. It just drives me nuts that real dollars are affecting 
ass oh it drives me crazy the fact that real dollars within a cap affect the picks being moved and you might say but ryan it's a pandemic and you've said real dollars are going to count during the pandemic yes but melnick would have done this before the pandemic and he has been doing this before the pandemic and he's the worst owner in the league and it drives me nuts I just can't believe me insane. I just can't believe Derek Stepan got a second round pick. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing. It's because uh, what do we call it? Like ghost cap? That's what it, that's he has a bunch of ghost cap. Like his six point five is his number, but what's his real salary this year? It's not six point five. I think it's what, all, two. Two. It's two. That's Malik's wet dream. Derek Stepan is the oldest thirty year old I I know. <laughs> <laughs> he's been traded more times than he's aged in years. Oh my god! Well, well I, he's was, played for New York, Arizona, and Ottawa now. That's it. Yeah, it feels like he's been traded every every year. He's been on the market quite a bit. That's true. He's always trade bait for some ah, reason. Man. Also, I, wasn't there a Stefan? You might be confusing. Wasn't there a Stefan in the league before? Patrick Stefan? Yeah, but that was like a long time ago. <laughs> Isn't he the guy who botched the open net? Yep. Yeah. When he played for Dallas, and they went down yeah. the other end and scored. <laughs> good times uh, um yeah i'm sorry to cut you off brad other news uh henrik Lungfist, yeah it's it's you got to feel for the guy it's been confirmed now like he's not coming back he has to have open heart surgery for some pretty serious heart um, issues it seems like he's had them for a while and it's just gotten to the point now where like he can't realistically realistically play without endangering his life so um how is he allowed to play before well you don't really know what was known before and these things progress in different ways for different people. Um, there's been a lot of, uh, pseudo heart surgeons on Twitter where I was like, yeah, you know what? I am not going to engage in medical diagnosis of a heart condition on Twitter. All I know is I wish Henrik Lundqvist the best. I'm happy he had the career he did. I'm sorry. He never got to see a cup. I hope to see him involved in hockey. Um, that's it. Yeah, I just you just hope for the best for him at this point, and I I hope it goes well. Like you said, it's open heart surgery. I'm not even going to pretend to have an opinion on any of this. I mean, we've already had to play doctor through a pandemic on a podcast, and I hated doing that. I'm I'm not touching this one. I just put my stethoscope away, so I won't. Yeah. I can't pretend today. Um, and any other news before? Oh yeah, um, Taves isn't going to be. In Chicago for at least the start of the season, and it looks like it's a serious. He's and did we even talk about Kirby Docs since the last time we talked? Oh yeah, I'd rather not think about Kirby Docs' risk. I I, I see oh, that picture. Man. I don't want. I don't want to think about it. No, Kirby Docs' risk looked like my uh, earnings chart for my investment portfolio. Yeah, um, either it direction. went way down and then way up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I didn't know your arm was supposed to look like an S. His arm looked like the Tampa Bay Lightning logo. Yeah. <laughs> Ew. Uh, uh yeah it, it, i honestly if i was sick enough i could you could go in and probably make that work and please no one edit that like it's actually no <laughs> that's uh, that'd be so weird <laughs> yeah kirby for those of you who don't know in a priest in, in an exhibition world junior game kirby doc had an awkward cl- collision at uh in the neutral zone broke his wrist very grossly um i think the only saving grace was that the bone wasn't sticking through the skin other than that is a nasty break uh had surgery or is having surgery out for the year for Chicago. And this is a guy who's already a bona fide NHLer. Like he went because Chicago allowed him to go. This is going to have ramifications for players like Doc playing in the World Juniors, which honestly he shouldn't. 
be anyways. For every Red Wings fan who is upset that Mo Sider wasn't allowed to go. <laughs> yeah, it's... This it's, isn't the only reason why, but this is a big reason why. It's a damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Like, you want your... Pl- if your player really, really wants to go and, like, he's not doing anything else, like, I totally see that side of, of the coin. And on the other side, he's... a nailed on nhl player at this point um so there isn't anything for him to gain at the junior level um it it sucks everybody hates this situation um yeah it's what else can you really say it's it's terrible yeah no taves no doc chicago's legitimately going to be challenging detroit for worst team in the central malcolm no starting goalie yeah malcolm suban is their starting goalie like God, yeah, man, like legitimately, legitimately, I think I might actually predict Detroit to not finish last (laughs) in this division, which sounds insane to me. If Chicago didn't know they were going on a rebuild, they sure do now. (laughs) Stan Bowman's like, no, I'll just trade for a sod again (laughs) and somehow lose that trade, too. Yeah. Yeah, um, there's a lot of other little things moving, but uh, just for the sake of timing on this episode, uh, we're just going to finish all these quick notes on Red Wings camp is starting at the time of recording in two days. So this is the 29th right now in the evening. So by the 31st, Red Wings will be back at camp. Um, if you don't follow us on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod, uh, at Brad Crisco, at Hockey Town Evan and at Ryan Hanna WWP. Or if you just go to the bio of the podcast account, you can follow it. We are going to be covering camp world juniors everything and since we're doing the individual twitter twitter handles there i just want to make it clear if you would like to yell at me for all my stupid opinions on this podcast my handle is the at hockey town evan <laughs> that's true i can verify that <laughs> i will probably not read them i definitely won't respond so it just goes into the void so that's how you knew this byfield debate was was a big issue over the last 48 hours because evan tweeted about it twice whoa ridiculous <laughs> <laughs> all right we're gonna jump into overtime uh on this so depending on the uh timing of this episode we might have time for some twitter or reddit questions but for now we're gonna start with patreon uh where our patrons our lovely supporters are the reason we're able to continue the show and make it through to this hellbent off season start of the season whatever it is we're gonna start with la plata peak who says without taves and doc and with their gold tending tandem uh, chicago should be the new odds on favorite to finish eighth in the central i'm also of the mind that ottawa missed a huge chance to keep paterka and stutzel together as they appear to have great chemistry of course the red wings never have let or never should have let that be a possibility so there's that as well i hope you all have a happy new year and hopefully these next two weeks fly by spoiler they won't wouldn't it be the most NHL bullshit for the Chicago Blackhawks to be bad for like three years and win two draft lotteries while we're still sitting here suffering? Yeah, I let's not do that, Brad. We're trying That's to- the most Detroit thing I've ever heard. No, no, Ryan, we need to talk about it at length so we can cope with it ahead of time so it's not so devastating when it happens. And then also when it actually happens, we can, you know, parade out the we called it bullshit conspiracy theories. But Brad, my um, beer is empty. Well, go get another one that has a pretty easy solution. 
Um, Josh Yelton says, hey, fellas, not sure if you've been asked this before. Uh, what's the coolest slash best rank or arena you've played in or on? I got to play in the United Center in Chicago as a mite and Yoast Arena in Ann Arbor as a peewee during my youth hockey days. Oh, the memories. Hope you all have a happy new year. Cheers and let's go Red Wings. Um, okay, I'm not going to count Joe Louis Arena for the Rent the Joe things because that feels like cheating. Um, I really am a fan of Galt Gardens in Cambridge just because like that is one of the that arena oldest, is sick. That arena is one of the literal original arenas in Canada. Like Gordy Howe played there. Kirk like, Malty played there. Yeah. Um, and it's just it's got that like old school vibe to it. I just I love it. There's like a mural all the way around the inside of the rink. Yeah. Just an absolute all Canadian arena. Uh, I'm trying to think of some other like weird, I, it got torn down, but the bubble in Waterloo was fun just in how awful it was. Yeah, it, was it was literally like a dome, like a, like a golf being driving range dome that they put ice in. <laughs> it was, uh, awful. when we played the Can-Am tournament, we played at the arena in Lake Placid where the miracle on ice happened, which was sweet. I being a Canadian kid jumping at the blue line was a little bit disrespectful. At, um, beat the Americans. But <laughs> it was a cool moment for me. Yeah, I don't have a ton of other like really memorable arenas for well for good reason anyway. <laughs> I played at the Joe Lewis Arena for Rent the Joe. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, did that. Uh, Matt Whip says, "Hey boys, can Sweden realistically make a run for tournament champions when the big three have arguably more talent?" Also, I'm right to be. Uh, I am. Am I right to be absolutely amped about Elmer Soderblom? Thanks. Um, yes, I think yes. you. I think anyone who discounts Sweden any year in any international hockey tournament um, is wrong. They have to be considered whether or not they don't like they have the absolute high end talent that other teams perceive to be. They are always, always a great team. So, yeah, you can absolutely count on them. Uh, Isaiah Nagurski says, what are some realistic timelines for the uh, Swedes and the world juniors to make it to North America, either AHL or NHL? Raymond, 12 months. Soderblom, I'd give two years. Niederbach, at least two years. Albert Johansson, two. Berglund, I don't know if he makes it. If he does, two or three. This is Grand Rapids? Yeah, I'm doing either Grand Rapids or NHL here. Oh, geez. Well, you had a lot of two years there, and I think the Red Wings don't like to bring everybody over at once. Uh, That's fair. I think Raymond's over next year. Um, I think Naderbach's probably one of the furthest off. I think he's probably three years. Uh, Soderblom and Johansson, two years each, probably seems about right. I don't. I'm, I know I'm forgetting guys, but it, I'm too tired to care. Uh, Alex uh, Pabochik, uh, I hope I'm saying that right. Alex says that's it. I'm all aboard the Soderblom hype train. Give me your six foot eight Soderblom hot takes. I My hot, hot take, take at this point would be to say he busts. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Ghost of Podcast. My hot take is that he is the newest member of a uh, guy who's going to give Evan free tickets and a signed jersey in exchange <laughs> for fundraising. God, I hope so. I need somebody now. Um, Ghost of Podcast Pass says, so hypothetical, Dylan Larkin has a career-ending injury. You can go to a deity and sacrifice young prospects to keep Dylan Larkin healthy. What's the most you'd give up to keep Dylan Larkin? Oh, my God. Um, okay, so... We're not counting Zadina as a prospect anymore, right? He's a no. Red Wing. Anybody not named Cider or Raymond? 
Yeah. Yeah, legitimately. Like, I, as much as I have high hopes for Berggren and Niederbach and Johansson, they will not be Dylan Larkin. They just, they won't be. That's the reality. <laughs> you need to keep Cider and Raymond because you need to hope that they become better than Dylan Larkin or as good as. Um, Even if they're close, the fact that they're five and six years younger yeah, is kind of your, your trade-off there. If Larkin's 21, then I think you even give up Cider at that point, but no. Uh, there's not a lot in my mind that I wouldn't give up for Larkin. Uh, Hockey Virgin says, and that's not Evan, says, do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. I didn't count how many do's are there, but a lot of do's says, hey, guys, my question is, after seeing a lot of the prospects play, who do you think right now can make the current Red Wings roster, and how many games do you think they can win in a full season? Okay, so who do I think could or should? Because that's two different things. Based on the Red Wings talent level, a lot of them, um, if we're talking relative to a normal NHL team, I think Cider, like as soon as his NHL season ends, he should be a Red Wing. Um, I think Lucas Raymond is very, very close. Um, Just on his skill alone, I, I think, I'm not saying he'd thrive in the NHL, but he'd comfortably keep up. That might be the end of my list right now. It's a boring answer. I, I think a lot of other guys could tread water, but it wouldn't be in the best interest of their like development. Like, could Bergeron keep up? Probably. Could Johansson keep up? Probably. But should they be there right now? No, absolutely not. Uh, Liz B asks, and this might be a question for the community. Says, says, does anyone have suggestions on how to watch Wings game this season? Haven't had Fox Sports Detroit since July 2019 because I have Dish choice of tv providers out of my control i was using a friend's hulu to watch games last season but this isn't an option now as sinclair media is having a contract dispute with dish hulu youtube and who knows who else nhl tv is blacked out for wings games i know they're gonna suck but i still want to watch what games i can you might be able to do vpn in nhl tv i don't know how easy that is to pull together but uh if the community could help liz that would be fantastic uh alex zucko says hey fellas happy new years to each of you i just want to know how much evan had to practice his swedish accent for his interview last week seriously i don't know if it occurred to you guys when you recorded the interview with sixton funquist he sounded just like evan great interview by the way i appreciate how you guys provide one-of-a-kind content like that that's all no question this week although we'd all love to hear evan now talk with the swedish accent to be sure (laughs) what did he sound like me uh no i thought he sounded a little like a lot happier than you Oh, like he sounded he had life in sure. his voice. Yeah. So <laughs> I didn't get that impression at all, actually. Oh, Sorry. Well, somebody did. Uh, Evan Beckner says, I need Brad's opinion on Arthur Kaliev's tape job. Absolute monster. Oh, oh my God. Do you know how many people? Okay. First of all, I appreciate that so many of you are as hyper aware of tape jobs as I am. And I respect you for it. But also the fact that I had to see that tape job like eight times today just frankly ruined my day. Because <laughs> as as bad as Tim Stutzler's tape job is, when you actually get down to the nuance of it, it makes sense. Like he's got the parts of his stick taped where he'll use. And, you know, you can at least make the argument for slide. Okay, fine. Arthur Kaliev's tape job is a crime against the game of hockey. It doesn't make sense. It's terrible. And the knob is even worse. Like, as he does the Bobby Orr, like, one strip tape job, except he does it closer to the toe on an angle. And then his, uh, the knob of his stick is roughly three feet wide. And it looks like, you know what? I don't have any good comparisons for that, at least not on a family podcast. So, yeah, 
That is an all-time bad one. That might be the worst. Uh, C Nods says, hope everyone had a good holiday. I'm on my way back to Alaska. So this episode should help me pass some of that traveling time. Uh, question is, who recorded the uh, voice at the beginning and end of the podcast? And who wrote the intro guitar riff? I don't recognize it as any song I know. Cheers. Um, so the guitar, this the the audio is something that we paid to license and use. Um and it was actually helped or like the person who did the voiceover for us, we hired her, um, is the person who, um, helped us pick that song. We, she kind of put together the whole thing. We knew, we told her like what vibe we wanted and she gave us some samples. I should find her name. I need to go dig that up. I can dig it up for you in the future. Um, I know some people have been saying that they still would want a different intro outro. We're always welcome to change. So if you guys have that feedback, let us know, but yeah, we, we like it. Um, the old the old stuff was fun to do, but yeah, in the interest of of using what we were allowed to use in license, yeah, we we did switch uh, to that one. That was just a paid voiceover artist who did um, kind of pick music as well. Soon to be Captain Darren Holmes says, "Good day, dud duds. Every day brings us closer to Stevie naming a captain, and I think you'll agree there's only one choice." Let's look at the tail of the tape for those who inexplicably want Larkin as captain instead of the elite one, Mr. Darren Helm. Career hat tricks, Helm 1, Larkin 0. Career hat tricks witnessed by Cop Guy, Helm 1, Larkin 0. Career goals, Helm 109, Larkin 107. That was actually very impressive from Larkin. (laughs) Playoff games, Helm 82, Larkin 5. Stanley Cups, Helm 1, Larkin 0. The numbers do not lie, give Helm the C. As I watch our beloved junior yellow and blue wings, I can't help but think with the emergence of Need Her Back and Soda Bomb, Eiserman can now test the trade waters and see what he can get in return for Todd's son, Tyler Bertuzzi, whilst his value is still high. And before people at me that I didn't suggest Rasmussen, it's because his value is ungood right now and it's basically sunk cost until further notice. Jersey time. Rank the top three 2020 World Junior Championship jerseys. If you had to buy one, which one would it be? Ooh. World Juniors uh, this year, like all time or this year specifically? This year. Oh, okay. Okay. First of all, the US's are an atrocity. Some of the US, like the US NTDB jerseys are like a top 10 jersey in North America. Like they're beautiful. And the fact that they use these like Olympic knockoffs, or they might even be just those stupid Olympic exactly as they were. They're terrible. I hate it. And the fact that they have barely any red in their jersey, but their socks are blue with a red stripe pisses me off more than it ever should. So those are in the basement by a country mile. Um, Team Canada's alternates suck, but their blacks are still elite. So those are always going to be number one for me. And the Germans jerseys, just mm, that color scheme works so well, even on not the greatest designed jersey. I'm always a huge fan of Sweden's. I love Sweden's. I love Canada's and I love Germany's. And if I had to buy one, I really need a Trey Croner uh, jersey. I need the three crowns, the yellow one with the blue crowns for me. Canada, Germany, Sweden. Yeah, it's got to be. Um, okay. Lastly, as the Wings only have three NBC games this upcoming season, may I be the first to say that three is too many? I know Brad Costco agreed with me, and I'm going to keep that tweet in the Stay Fresh cheese bag as a reminder that he can have a good opinion despite his track record showing otherwise. This comment has been brought to you by Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, a Fournier company. Next comment is from Stay Fresh Cheese Bags of Fournier Company. Uh, they say, hey there, fellas. How can anyone not, at the least, be sporting a semi after seeing the production of Raymond Niederbach's Soderblom? 
I'm pleasantly surprised by Soderblom, who despite the hype has been way better than I thought, is each turning into what we hope Rasmussen would. While catching up on Hockey Central, Brian Burke boldly stated that he doesn't believe a Stanley Cup champ since his 07 Ducks could beat them, that only the 2018 Caps could give him a run for their money. Thoughts? I think the next year, the 08 Red Wings could have beat them. <laughs> Pardon? <laughs> yeah, like legit. So... I think the that, 08 Red Wings and the 09 Penguins could beat them. I think the 09 Red Wings would beat them. Uh, <laughs> I mean, the Ducks were a good team in 07, definitely better than Carolina in 06, which might be what skews his perception. But the 2010 Hawks are probably pretty goddamn close, if not better. The 2010 Bruins are pretty goddamn close, if not better. Uh, both Kings teams were definitely better. Um, the second and third Hawks teams that won the cup were definitely better. Like, yeah, that's a bad take. Um, go on to say also screw Ottawa just because helmets now have logos. They've always had them. Reebok CCM. I'm working on a mock-up helmet with the stay fresh cheese bags logo. Stay tuned cheese bags. Um, Jeremiah Dobos says no question, but my hate for Greg Wyshynski has returned. He's butthurt about Detroit getting three games on NBC, but fails to recognize that his team is one of the most boring in the league. I actually agree with him because I hate when NBC calls Red Wings games. I wish they would do zero. Yeah, I want Ken and Mick for all 82 games in a normal year. Doesn't matter to me. Sam W says, hey, I hope you all had a nice holiday and are getting a chance to enjoy some World Juniors. feel like you guys would all be dropping uh, Bertuzzi to the second line as soon as we have the personnel that would make it worth splitting up the MLB line. It just seems like Raymond was born to play with Larkin. I think he can match Larkin's pace and they could play keep away in the offensive zone and free up space for Mantha. Do you think Raymond will be ready to step right into the top line next year? And what do you think of that combination? Thanks, guys. Top line next year might be a bit steep. Um, I think he has a chance to play NHL games and possibly surprise and stay in the NHL for 2021-2022, but I really think that might be an aggressive timeline. I don't realistically see top line Raymond for that season. I won't rule it out as impossible, but it, it's not entirely likely in my mind. I do love that line combination, though. I agree with you what you, what you say about generating space. This is the part of the podcast where I feel like I have to do it every podcast where I remind everybody of the mentality of the current Red Wings coach. You got to earn it down in the pits. Yeah, you are spending Franz Nielsen. Yeah, you are spending at least a half a season with Franz Nielsen before you get promoted into the top six. That's why uh, after they got rid of Abdicator, Blatchfield called Eisenman. He's like, hey, hey, you can't get rid of both of them. That's my, uh, that's my guy that I, that's my anchor guy. <laughs> what's, it in the- Sim- what's it in Simpsons, the Stonecutter episode? He's like, oh, you, you, he's got this rock. He's like, no, you get the rock of uh, whatever it is when he finds out he's like the prof- the prophet of the Stonecutters and it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> I love a good Stonecutters reference. It's one of the best Simpsons episodes. So good. Um, time for a uh, quick Reddit question. Let's go. Captain Canada seven says, Merry belated Christmas boys. First off, how are we feeling about team Detroit, Sweden, uh, showing at the juniors so far with the real test coming up against the U S I understand it might be too soon to tell, but I haven't personally had a chance to watch. Uh, so luckily we covered that. Secondly, rumor mail has it that all around bad guy slash super coach urban Myers coming to the NFL and has been slated as a good fit for the lions. Would you be okay with a chance at injecting a winning culture again with the Lions organization if it came at the small price of your integrity slash moral fiber? I 
this is proof that some deity exists and hates me because why are you giving me more Ohio State in my life in the most cruel <laughs> way? The lines are irredeemable, and I've come to accept that. It's a part of who I am, and, and it's never a happy thing, but I'm not shocked about it. If the lions find success, which is, I think, proven to, scientifically proven to, to be impossible, at the hands of Urban Meyer, I, I can't tell you what I would do because I don't know how I would handle it. I don't know how I would cope. Do I want it? No, absolutely not. Absolutely if they win, not. If they start winning man i don't like that like i don't like that (laughs) i spend every waking moment of my life trying to dunk on the state of ohio and ohio state university basically the question is would you sell your soul to the devil to win no no oh you just don't want it bad enough then (laughs) i'm a lions fan man you're absolutely right okay hold on (laughs) hold on have we addressed the possibility that the next head coach of the Detroit Lions, there's a reality in which it's Urban Meyer. That's what we're talking about. That's what we're doing. I know, but actually think about it. There we are. Oh, I don't want it, Brad. <laughs> Just, I, need you to, I need you to visualize. No, I don't, want, <laughs> I don't want to. I am not interested in this. This is not good for me. Because oh, the worst God. part is, like, I can't even go. I, no, we're not doing it. Anyways. Captain Canada, oh, Merry is, Christmas. I, I want to bring you. this up every 10 seconds just to see your face. I don't I what you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna use my license with the hovering over the stop button here. We're gonna wrap up this episode of the Wing Wheel Podcast. Um everyone, have a wonderful, happy, and safe new year. This is our last episode of 2020. We will be back with you on what is it, January 3rd is the Sunday? Yeah, January 3rd. So we'll be back with you on uh, 2021. Can't believe we made it through this absolute hellhole of a year, but um, we did. I can't believe we made it this far without Urban Meyer getting hired by the Lions. Oh, Brad, piss off. We'd like to thank our name level <laughs> sponsors. Arjun Shanker, Kyle, R.A., Hi Brad, Zach Spring, Citizen High Five, Cody Stark, Greech, Jeremiah Dobo, Jake Kiefer. Uh, it's the bunch of uh, letters with I am high in the middle. Um, Andrew Bohan, Scott Martin, Jacob Turner, Matt McKay, Craig Kibble, Brandon M., Matthew M. Rice, Luke Johnson, Kaylin Wood, Hassam Al-Kassem, Charlie Elkins, Hannah Lee, Sam Bankston, or Bankston, Josh Yelton, Trevor Pevavar, Evans Bingo Card, Ashley Van Conet, Beer Guy, Connor Leighton, Danny Jr., Matthew Keeler, Stay Fresh Cheese Bags, Afornia Company, Antonio Gracias, John Evans, Joseph Minima, Quaz, and Stan Olson. Thank you all. Happy New Year. We love you. Screw you, Brad. Thanks for tuning in to the Winged Wheel Podcast. Be sure to check out wingedwheelpodcast.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll also find links to other ways to support the show, such as Patreon, official podcast apparel, and more. And don't forget to follow the show on Twitter at Winged Wheel Pod. And of course, the hosts at Brad Crisco, at Ryan Hanna WWP, and at Hockey Town Evan.